my very definition in your grace you give us what we don't deserve we certainly do not deserve to be called your children to be a part of the family we don't deserve forgiveness we don't deserve restoration we don't deserve strength for every day but you give it to us because you love us you give it to us because your grace is great it is unending we want to thank you for that this morning, Father. Thank you for bringing us to the place where we can hear your word. And we pray that this morning your spirit would take the word and make it what we need to hear, Lord. Dive deeply into our hearts. Hebrews says that the word of God is a sword that splits our hearts wide open and goes to the very depths of our souls. And we pray this morning that we would hear you that clearly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, folks. Have a seat. <clears throat> Love those songs this morning. I was noticing that except for the young lady in the middle who looked like she's about 24 or 25, everybody else appears to be teenagers. Uh, awesome to have our young people helping us. A lot of talent there, and we're thankful for all the work they put into that. So thank you for leading us this morning. Um, I'm like most everybody else. I've got a smartphone, and it's got a whole bunch of apps on it. And my phone has a bunch of apps that I probably have never used. I see it, and I think, oh, that would be neat. And I download it, and then I never use it. One of the ones I click on, I don't know why, 10 times a day, is the weather app. I'm obsessed with the weather app. Now, I keep looking at it, and usually what happens is I'll look at it, and I'll walk over to the window, and I'll say, it says it's supposed to be snowing already. And my wife, who, aside from looking like she's 25, is also a lot smarter than I am, usually says, why don't you just look out the window if you want to know what the weather is? I don't know. I always I want to know what's happening, what's going to happen. It's supposed to snow one to three inches this afternoon. We'll see if it happens or not. I just like knowing what's happening, and I'm always looking at it. Uh, you know, there's a whole channel. It was quite a phenomenon 25 years ago when it started, the weather channel. Everybody thought, how could there be a whole channel dedicated to weather? Well... Because there's people like me who look at their weather apps 10 times a day. There's a whole channel where you can just sit and watch the weather. Natural disasters are a part of life on this earth. And in our country, we have our fair share of them. Uh, eight to 10 times a year, hurricanes touch down in the continental U.S. and cause untold damage. I did a little digging this week because I was curious did you know that there are between 800 and 1,000 tornadoes in the United States every year? Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> 800 to 1,000 tornadoes. Man, I'm glad I don't live in Kansas. Uh, all over the place. And some of these things happen very, very suddenly. Of course, that's not even talking about wildfires or blizzards or flooding or any of those other kinds of things. But when you look at those things, there are two different kinds. There are the kinds like tornadoes that happen almost instantly, and you have 30 seconds to take shelter. There are other things like hurricanes where often there's, there's a lot of warning. 
It's on the news, it's on the weather, it's on your app, and you know this hurricane is coming on Tuesday night, it's going to make landfall. And along with those predictions, there are always warnings, take shelter, or if you're in a place that's going to be very seriously hit, you need to to leave your home and, and flee to safety is an indicator that's going to happen. In 2012, we got hit by Hurricane Sandy, one of the most deadly and costly hurricanes in the history of the United States, and it really damaged things from Florida to Maine. But the thing about Hurricane Sandy was they knew it was coming. For days and days they were predicting, this is where it's going, this is a track, and they were warning people all up and down the eastern seaboard to flee, to leave their homes. And it was especially going to hit the Long Island, New York, New Jersey area very, very badly. Of course, even despite all of the warnings, 71 people died directly as a result of not getting out of the path of that hurricane. In fact, there was one young couple in Brooklyn who in the middle of the storm decided to go out and walk their dog and they were both tragically killed by a tree that fell on them. Now why is that? Now, it's one thing to say, well, this tornado came in 30 seconds and we didn't have any warning and this happened and these people were killed, but with all the days and days of warnings, why not flee to safety? Why not do something about it? Well, we see this all the time. People don't leave their homes during hurricanes. People drive 60 miles an hour on icy roads. We damage our bodies by using illicit substances that we know are not good for us. We overeat or we eat improperly despite the fact that we know that it leads to diabetes or heart disease. We fail to heed warnings. And we do that spiritually as well. We're walking through the Old Testament together here over the last several months. And now we've gotten to this section of the Bible that we call the minor prophets. They're not minor because they're less important, only because the books are a little shorter. And we're in the second one this morning, the book of Joel. And Joel probably prophesied around 800 years before Christ came to this earth. And as a result, he is probably the first prophet to write in these minor prophets. As a young man, he was probably alive around the time of Elijah and Elisha. He probably lived in the same area, so he might have even known who these men were. And when Joel was writing, sin and idolatry was running rampant through the nation of Israel. Now maybe if you've been with us for most of this whole story series that we've been doing, maybe you'll say, that's what you and Tim say every Sunday when you get up front. Sin was running rampant through the nation of Israel. Well, unfortunately, a lot of the time that was the case. Not unlike our world today. We can look back through history of the United States and we can say, well, there was a great revival, there was a great awakening, there was an explosion in the growth of the church. But in between those few little pockets are these long histories of sin running rampant. That's what's happening in our country today, by the way, in case you didn't notice it. But that's what was happening in Joel's time. 
Sin was running rampant. And as a result, there had been a terrible plague of locusts which had wiped out all of the crops in the nation of Israel and completely destroyed the economy. And if you have your Bible and you're in the book of Joel, you could see in chapter 1 that Joel was called by God to tell Israel that the plague of locusts was because of their sin. I promised you when I brought you into this land and I gave you the special place of Canaan, which had so much richness, had so many natural resources at their disposal, I told you that if you served me, if you loved me, if you worshipped me, I would make sure that you had everything that you had. But if you sinned, I would judge you. And that's exactly what God did, and that's what Joel told them. The plague was God's judgment, and it was designed to get their attention. Now, I want you to think about this, folks, as you think about judgment with me over the next few minutes, because that's what Joel's going to say to us, too. He is going to call us to attention for our sin as well. But I want you to notice that when God sends judgment, he always does it with the purpose of calling us back to himself of getting our attention. God doesn't judge us just for the sake of judging us, but always to call us back. And we're going to look at Joel chapter 2 together this morning. And when we do that, we're going to see that Joel is going to tell them about an even greater judgment that's coming in the future. And he offers them and us an opportunity to repent. In fact, Joel's message in the whole book is repent while you can. Repent while you can. And he tells them that, and he tells us that, because the opportunities to repent are finite. You know what the word finite means, right? It means there's an end. It means there's going to be a day when there are no more opportunities to repent. And that's what Joel wants them to grasp, and that's what I want us to see this morning as we look at it. So let's look at Joel chapter 2. And as we read down through it, I want you to notice three things here that Joel draws our attention to. Joel chapter 2 and verse 1, he says this, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, notice this, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness there is spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them. It could sound just like that when it happens, (laughs) only much louder. Their like has never been before, nor will it be again after them through the years of all generations. I want you to notice here, first of all, Joel tells the people and us about an unprecedented judgment. An unprecedented judgment. Now, the nation of Israel didn't have the weather app on their phones But they had natural disasters just like we do. They had storms, they had plagues, they had famines. They knew what all of those kinds of things were. And remember I said that there was a terrible locust plague that had just happened. And 
we don't deal with it too much in our part of the world, but locusts are very destructive. In fact, um, we don't hear it on our news, but there are some parts of the world right now that are experiencing the worst locust plagues in almost 100 years. The locusts are very, very bad. Now, if you want to join with me and drive down the conspiracy theory road, um, I did a little bit more digging, and I found out that we can blame it on COVID. We can blame the locust plagues. I'm not kidding. We can blame the locust plagues on COVID because what usually happens, there is a, okay, I'm taking a little license here, but there's a locust SWAT team, picture that that travels around to different parts of the world, truly, and they develop these, these uh, pesticides, and they go into areas, and they have a rotation in different parts of the world where they go in and they spray, and they take care of locusts so that they don't have these huge swarms and these huge plagues. That is not happening because of COVID. And so parts of the world are experiencing these plagues Worse than it's been at least 75 or 80 years since the locusts have been this bad, particularly in East Africa and parts of India. And in parts of East Africa, there is a swarm of locusts that is three times the size of New York City. One swarm. 200 billion locusts in this one area, and they're wreaking havoc. And the unfortunate part of it truly is, as they sweep through, they destroy all the crops, and then famine comes along afterwards because the economy is, is destroyed. And that still happens in all kinds of parts of the world. I'm told that a swarm of locusts this big can eat as much as 35,000 people in one day. These little tiny insects. So... When Joel is telling them that this is God's judgment on them, they knew exactly what it was. They had experienced it, and it had destroyed everything in a matter of days and set their economy back for years. But what I want you to notice is that Joel says this judgment that is coming still in the future is even worse than that. It's going to be more devastating than that. He says, blow a trumpet. That means sound the alarm, sound a warning. Back in those days, you didn't get alerts on the TV or on the radio or on your phone. They blew trumpets. If the enemy was approaching, if a storm was coming, they blew a trumpet to sound the warning, to sound the alarm. Only this time, Joel says, it's because the day of the Lord is coming. Now, there are many places in Scripture that talk about the day of the Lord. And he talks, and the scripture talks about it as a judgment for the entire world. The day of the Lord is the day when Christ is going to come back and give judgment to the earth for their rejection of him. Notice that Joel says it is near. Literally, it is close. It's close. Now, we've talked about this before. Sometimes we wake up, particularly with everything that has gone on in our country over the past year, we wake up and we think, it's close, don't we? It's close. It's near. Judgment. The day of the Lord. Notice that 
Joel says, there is a great and powerful people, that is the Lord's army, and he says the judgment is like never has been seen before, nor will it ever be seen again. This will be the worst judgment the world has ever seen. Worse than any natural disaster that you can imagine is the devastation of the day of the Lord. Let's look at verse 3. Joel chapter 2, verse 3, Joel says, Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness. See that picture there. Just like the Garden of Eden in front of them with all of its richness and all of its lushness, but behind them a desolate, desolate wilderness. Nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, people are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the walls. They march on each, each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon are darkened. And the stars withdraw their shining. It's a terrifying army. That's what Joel tells us. Not only is this an unprecedented judgment, but it's a terrifying army. Notice how he describes them there. Notice that as he describes this army, he describes them like locusts, only he says these locusts are like war horses. Now, we don't know here, is this an actual army that Joel is describing, or is it a metaphor? Is he taking the locust plague that had just happened and relating it to what's going to happen in the future? Is there going to be another swarm of locusts that is going to do this damage? Or is it a metaphor for us? We don't know really for sure. But what I want you to notice here is the ferocity and the determination, the destructive power and the intent of the Lord's army. Now, when we talk about God, especially when those of us who are Christ followers try to talk about God to those who are not Christ followers, what do we typically emphasize? We emphasize his love, right? His love and his grace. We sang about his grace this morning. Amazing grace in our lives, and God's mercy. And he is all of those things. He is gracious. He is loving. He is merciful. But what we need to understand when we look at Joel chapter 2 is when this time comes, there's going to be no more mercy. God is wonderfully merciful. A few weeks ago on Christmas Sunday, Pastor Tim talked about the fact that his mercy is new every morning. Because his faithfulness is great. But on this day, there will be no more mercy. Now, if you take Joel chapter 2, and you flip forward in your Bible, and you compare it to Revelation chapter 9, 
we find out something very interesting. Our group was reading Revelation 9 last week, and we talked about it on Wednesday night together. And when you put those two things together, notice you notice what's there? Is that John is describing a terrifying army during the day of the Lord. Joel and John are talking about the same event. And as John describes the Lord's army, he uses very similar terms. Actually, he, act, he actually calls them locusts as well. And he also calls them scorpions. And he talks about the fact that they have plates of steel armor on them as they go forward into battle. Only he says that these locusts are the size of horses. Now, a lot of people have looked at these descriptions and they've likened them to modern day warfare and weapons of warfare. A lot of guys have spent a lot of time and said, you know, if you look at an Apache helicopter and you look at the face of a locust, they kind of look the same and the steel armor on the locust could be the steel armor on the helicopters and all of those things. We don't know. Some people think that's what John wrote because he had no idea what a helicopter was 2,000 years ago. That's all supposition and speculation. But whatever this army is comprised of, it will be unstoppable. Unstoppable. You see what he says there? How he describes them? They'll scale the walls. They'll go into houses. No weapons will halt them. They will just mow through. Nothing will even disrupt their formation. If you've ever watched an army or a battalion march in formation, keeping their lines, that's how he describes this army. They're just going to go through, and they're going to flatten everything in their path. And in verse number 10, he says, even the sun and the moon and the stars will be darkened and there will be earthquakes. Joel was not the only one to use these words. Isaiah speaks of the sun being darkened in that day of judgment. Revelation talks about it. Jesus himself in Matthew 24 says the exact same thing, that one day judgment will come and even the sun will be darkened. It's a terrifying army. Let's look at verse 11 of Joel chapter 2. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. The third thing I want you to notice here this morning is a merciful invitation. Now, I don't know about you, but I like this third one better than I like the first two. There's an unprecedented judgment. There's a terrifying army. But now we have a merciful invitation. God says here at the beginning of this, in verse 11, this is his army and it executes his word. He utters his voice and this army does exactly what he asks it to do. Exactly what he commands it to do. It executes his word, and he executes his word. I want you to see God's control over all of this. I don't know about you, but I, I, 
I can get a little nervous sometimes when I see what's happening around us. And I kind of wonder what's going to happen in the days ahead. But I want you to understand that when this day comes, this unprecedented judgment carried out by this terrifying army, that God is going to be in complete control of it. Nothing will happen that he doesn't intend to happen. He executes his word. And notice that Joel says, it is so great, the day of the Lord is so great, who can endure it? Do you know what the answer to that question is? No one. No one can endure it. Because God, in his justice and in his holiness, is going to mete out the judgment that this world deserves. Who can endure it? No one. No one, that is, without Christ's atonement. God is going to use this time to bring Israel to her knees. He is going to use this time to bring the whole world to his knees. All the world is walking around right now. You've seen it. I see it with this arrogance. This is our world, and we do what we want to do, and we're going to implement these things because we're going to save the world, and we're going to change the world, and we're going to make it what we want it to be. The scripture that says, scripture says, the God who sits on the circle of the earth laughs. When he sees the arrogance of mankind, he laughs. He will bring the world to its knees. Verse 12, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me. The word yet, this is the most important word in this whole chapter. Yet, God shows mercy. In this day, there will be no more mercy. But until that day, there is mercy. Return to me, literally, come back to me. Turn around. Turn around. And God offers this incredible, merciful invitation. He's talking about repentance. And that's what the word repentance means. It carries with it the idea of turning away from what you're doing and turning back toward God, turning away from disobedience and back toward obedience to Him. True repentance always involves change. Repentance is not saying you're sorry. Repentance is not promising that you will do better. Repentance is doing differently. Words are cheap. You know that. In your relationships, you've had interactions with people where things have happened, and you've gone to work things out to reconcile, and the other person might say, I'm sorry, I won't do that again. I really shouldn't have done that. And then maybe you found out that those words were cheap. The same thing happened over and over again. But repentance is doing differently. It's leaving old patterns behind and starting new ones. In verse 13, he says, Rend your hearts and not your garments. Some of you may know this, but in the Jewish culture, there was a custom 
of when they grieved that they would tear their clothes. They would tear their outer garments. They would have a, an inner garment on and then they would have an outer robe over it. And in a time of mourning when they lost someone that they loved or when some other devastating thing happened, they would tear their clothes as a sign of their grief. But God says here, rend your hearts, not your garments. What is God saying? He said, I don't want a show. I don't want you to tell me what I want to hear or what you think I want to hear. I want reality. Rend your heart. Literally, tear open your heart. Because true repentance is heart repentance. It's not a difference in how you look. It's not a difference in what you say. It's a difference in what you think and what you believe and what you do. And God was giving them that opportunity. Do you see what just happened? Did you see what these locusts did to your land? There's something coming that's far worse. And I'm begging you. I'm giving you the opportunity. I'm showing you mercy now. Turn to me now. And God gives us that same opportunity because this judgment, this greater judgment, this unprecedented time of destruction has not happened yet. It still hasn't happened. The end of verse 13, he says, He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And then he says, And he relents over disaster. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means that God does not take any pleasure in punishment or death. You see, some people have that wrong understanding of God. They think that God is up there in heaven and he's just mean and every time something bad happens, it's because God is zapping them. And that's what God wants to do. He just wants to wipe people out. And that in that day of judgment, he'll take pleasure in destroying the world. He will not. Ezekiel 33:11 says, he takes no pleasure in the death of people. He takes no pleasure in judgment. What is the message of the prophet of Joel? It's repent while you can. Repent while you can because the opportunities to repent are finite. Now, I don't know how well Israel understood that in their day because there was quite a bit more sin that happened in the nation of Israel after Joel gave them this message. But I want you to think about this message here in terms of our situation today. That there's going to come a time when there will be no more chances. Now, we're sitting here we're sitting here in a church service, and this is an opportunity to repent. This is an opportunity to say to God, I need to turn to you. I need to turn away from the way that I've been living. I need to do things differently. We have a tendency to say, if you're at that point in your life, we have a tendency to say, well, there's going to be lots of time to do that. I'll do that a little later. I'll do that when I'm ready. I'll do that after I get done this stage of my life. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is writing there about the day of the Lord. 
and listen to what he says. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them and they will not escape. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 24. Peter says it in 1 Peter 3. John says it in the book of Revelation. When the day of the Lord comes, there will be no warning. When it comes, it'll be too late to get ready. And I want to ask you this morning, before we close our service, what is the state of your heart? Are you ready Have you repented of your sin and trusted Christ as your Savior? I'm guessing that many of you here this morning have, but I don't know you all. You may not have. I don't know who's watching today. Are you ready? Because it's a very dangerous thing to walk through life and turn your back on opportunity after opportunity saying, I will, when I'm ready, I will. Because the Scripture says, That when the day of the Lord comes, it'll be too late then. There will not be time. But Jesus Christ gives us a merciful invitation. Jesus is calling. His arms are open wide to us. And his blood gives us forgiveness of sin. It covers our hearts because of his sacrifice for us on our behalf. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. When you came in, there was some communion stuff on the back table there. If you didn't get it, I invite you to grab some, or maybe somebody can bring some up for those that don't have it. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, then this is an opportunity for you to give thanks, to bow down and thank Him because... Friends, the reality is no one can endure this judgment. The good news is for those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, we won't be here. (laughs) We won't have to endure this judgment because Christ is going to come and take his church to be with himself. But if you're not a Christ follower today, Today is the day. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, that's exactly what Paul says. He says, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. And I beg you not to wait. We're going to bow our heads and pray. The band is going to lead us in a song. I'd invite you to ask The Lord's cleansing for your heart this morning as we bow together. And when you're ready, you can eat the bread and drink the cup as we celebrate communion together. And then I'll come back and close our service. Father, we thank you for the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, the salvation that we can have through him. And we thank you for the invitation that is in front of us right now to repent, to come to him to ask for our forgiveness. Thank you for the forgiveness that you have given me through Christ. As Melody already talked about this morning, that glorious day when you you called me to yourself and, and I responded to that and became your child. 
I am so thankful. And I, I give you thanks for that today, and we celebrate that today at communion. For those that do not know Christ, Father, I pray that you would open their eyes and open their hearts to the truth, that they might know you, that they might be spared this day of judgment that is coming. We pray for the gospel to go out across the entire world. We pray for all of those around the world who do not know of Christ's mercy and the salvation that is freely offered them. We pray that many would come to Christ, even today, as churches meet, as people share the truth all around the world. We pray that you would be honored and glorified in that. And I pray that you will bless our time of communion fellowship together here this morning. In Christ's name, amen. If you Bay need to cross as you wait for the crown, tell the world of the treasure you found. I knew that line was coming because I was going to quote it. You see, there's two groups of people in this room, two groups of people in this state, and two groups of people in this world. Those that have responded to the merciful invitation of Jesus Christ and trusted him and repented, and those who haven't. If you haven't, don't wait. Isaiah chapter 55 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Don't wait. Come see me after the service. If you're watching online, chat with Curtis or Robert or whoever's on there at the time. Call on him while he's near. You can't wait. But for those of us who do know Jesus, and that's probably most of us in this room, we have to be like Joel. We have to call people to repent. And that's why I love the last line of that song. Bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. That's our responsibility, folks. We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know exactly how it's going to happen. We don't know all the details, but we do know this. The day of the Lord is coming. And when it comes... The opportunities to repent will be over. So either you need to repent or you need to tell others that they need to repent. The message is for you. It's for me. Father, we lay ourselves at your feet as your children. We are so thankful for this mercy. So thankful to be called your children. So thankful to not have to endure this day of judgment when it comes. But those that we know and love, those that are around us without Christ, are in danger. And I pray that you'll give us opportunities to tell of the cross, to tell of your mercy, to tell of your grace and love. Even this week, Father, may our eyes be open and may we take the opportunities that you have given us in Christ's name. Amen.